welcome to the show. If you are watching this on YouTube, do me a favor and hit that like button and also that subscribe button if you haven't done that already. You can also subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple, wherever. Uh, my guest today is a big one, Rob DeLuca. He has played with George Lynch, Joan Jett, Sebastian Bach, UFO, and of course his own band, Spread Eagle. Uh, they, he's toured with Guns N' Roses, and uh, he's got a lot of great stories, seems like a really great guy and uh very positive says nice things about all the people he's worked with and uh i think if you're a regular listener to the show uh you're really gonna like this one i really enjoyed it i think you will too here you go okay please welcome rob deluca to my podcast how you doing rob i'm doing great glad to be here really yeah glad to be here yeah this is gonna be fun i think we, we got a lot to talk about because you've done so much over your career but it all starts uh, with Spread Eagle. That was the first band, well, the first big band that, that I know of that you were in, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so tell me the story, though. So you guys were signed to MCA, and you had never played a gig. I've never heard of anything like this. You only had five songs, and they, they signed you. Tell me how this happened. Well, it's a true story. How's my volume, Chuck? It's great. Okay. Uh, it's a true story. We had been in a lot of bands trying to get signed uh, before that. We were up in Boston for a while. I, I come from Delaware originally, so we, mm. we, we were from all over the place. Uh, Paul DiBartolo was from Jersey. Uh, Ray was born in Brooklyn, and, um, and he also lived in Florida. So we had been in a bunch of bands, and we had never – we were always trying to get a record deal because especially back then, a, a signing to a label was everything. Yeah. Um, so we moved to New York and we, uh, how do you want the real, the, the real long story, the medium story or the short story, whichever one you prefer. I got all the time in the world. So whatever okay. you want to tell. Well, we were in Boston and we had a band and it broke up and Paul moved to New York and joined Ray's band, which was called Fox Hunt. And Paul joined as the second guitar player, Paul DiBartolo. Okay. And Paul, you know, you can imagine he's would have a problem playing second fiddle to someone else just because he's so talented. And it wasn't, it was this other guitar player's band. So that didn't work out. And so Tommy Gallo and I moved down to New York city and, you know, formed spread, formed a band. Um, Ray wasn't in the band, even though Paul knew him because Paul had just played with him in the band, in his band, mm -hmm. Fox Hunt. Um, so we planned to look for a singer and uh, we were doing demos. We booked, we were rehearsing underground in a basement space on La Lafayette Street. Um, yeah, Lafayette Street called Loho. Um, and uh, I was actually trying to sing on the demos, believe it or not. And um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't right yet. So we had we had Ray come in and sing some demo stuff that just he still wasn't joining the band. He was just helping us out. And once he sung on it, you know, uh, I think I'm not totally sure of this, but I think we had the songs like Switchblade Serenade, Spread Eagle. We had a song called Gun Shy and probably Scratch Like a Cat. Um, and so Ray sung on it and it was just so amazing that, you know, the writing was on the wall at that point. So Ray left his band Fox Hunt, mm. joined us. We booked some shows to get ready uh, to, to gig, you know, out, like outside of New York City, like up 
north, you know, a half an hour, or maybe in Jersey and stuff like that. And um, our manager, we had two managers. One of our managers, Charlie Gambetta, invited some of his friends down to see us rehearse to give opinions because we wanted to get signed as soon as possible. Sure. And we wanted to succeed. And uh, all the people who, the first day, people were like, we are really interested in this band. We think we want to sign them. Huh. And we were like, we didn't expect that. We weren't fishing for that. We were, we were looking for like a a quick, not easy necessarily, but a quick, efficient route to getting what we wanted to making records. But we didn't know how to get there. We were just getting, trying to get opinions on how, you know, what we could do to be better. And people were saying, you can't, you know, you guys are good. Uh, so the first day we we had some uh, opinions like we, we think, you know, we, we would be interested in this band. And then second day, MCA came down and said, we want to sign the band tomorrow at noon. So we canceled the gigs. Um, we thought about it for maybe a day or maybe a couple of days. Like, are we jumping into this with MCA? Should we, cause we had at this point we've had, we had had about, it was a few days, I think. And people were starting to call the studio like A&M and Sony came down and you know, wow. word got out. That is quite a buzz for a band that has never played a gig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think some people were probably just thinking, we don't know how good it is, but we're hearing this hype in New yeah. York City. It's big, but it's also small. Yeah. And also this is 89, right? When everybody, Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue are huge and they're mo- and everyone's looking for the next Guns N' Roses. Yeah, this was 89. So this was probably, um, I'm going to guess April of 89. Mm. So uh, roughly. Um, so, uh, a guy named Mike Bone came down. He was at Island, I think. And I had my base because the room was just this little tiny room down in the basement. And I had him pinned up against the wall with my base playing scratch like a cat. And it was up against his chest. And he was like, and, uh, <laughs> I never saw him since, but he, he went on to become, you know, like a, he was a successful A&R guy and he did a bunch of stuff in the industry. But I remember he was telling people that he was, he was a little afraid. You know? <laughs> Um, so the end of the story is that Sony really, really, really wanted us and, but they were on their, uh, company, uh, convention, you know, how those labels used to have conventions and they would be back in, you know, like four days. And then he had the guy who was pretty high up. Uh, I think he was head of A&R, um, he had to get everyone on board. So he thought like maybe 10 days to two weeks, we could showcase for that. Mm. And for Sony. And we were like, we were new to this, you know, even though we had two managers mm-hmm. who were smart guys, they weren't, they weren't like, they didn't have other bands, you know? Um, so we were worried that something could happen where MCA could say, no, we don't, we don't want you to go through this process we right. want you now or we don't want you. So we signed with them still and we canceled the gigs and went right into the studio. Yeah. Quickly, shortly thereafter. It's a tough decision because on the one hand, if you waited out, you could have maybe gotten a better deal or a better record company. But if you don't wait, if you, 
if you say no to MCA, then maybe those other record labels lose interest. And it's like, you're taking so a gamble either bad, way. Bad showcase. Yeah. So Sony was going to set up a showcase for the whole label. That's what, mm-hmm. that was their plan. They're like, we, the guy was like, we want to sign. The guy was um, Mike Corbett was his name. He's like, we want I want to sign the band and I have the power to sign the band, but I, I have to just at least show the band, you know? So we need a showcase. So no one absolutely, you know, gives it, you know, gives a, a negative. So, um, but what if you have a bad showcase or something? You know? Right. So we just did it. And, you know, and say it wasn't, it was a big label. They had, you know, in the seventies, they had Elton and they had Skinner and they had the who and, you know, but they had gotten away from rock for quite a while. And it, all those people were long gone. Um, and it was just, it was a, a soul urban R&B label and they decided to get in the rock because of what you mentioned, Guns N' Roses and mm-hmm. Bon Jovi and all that. Uh, but they were a little late to the game and they didn't really, you know, have it sussed out yet. Mm-hmm. They didn't have it down to an art yet. And we, it's, that's, that hurt us. Yeah. Cause I mean, you had those songs, like you said, the scratch, like a cat, uh, switchblade serenade, which I think is one of the, gotta be the greatest song title of all time. Um, one of my favorites, uh, back on the bitch. I love that song. That's like, that sounds like a guns and roses type of song. And these singles are on the radio and they're on headbangers ball. But you know, it's interesting because usually with a young band, you get on some sort of big tour. Like you would have opened for scorpions or, or guns and roses or something like that. But then they had you guys doing this club tour with Vane, Which wasn't bad. I mean, Vane. Bang, at the time, we hated Bane, but I've become friends with them, and I like them a lot now. Yeah. I like their music, too. Yeah, so tell um, me the story of what happened with there, because there was some bad blood at the time. But like you said, you're friends now, but what was this thing like? It ended, the part, the tour ended because you guys crashed their uh, set when you showed up buck naked on the stage? I, I, I'm not a big drug guy, so I remember a lot of this stuff. <laughs> but I don't remember that that much, but I do. I think Tommy was naked. And they, they were at the time, you know, you got guys in their early twenties, you know, like it's, it's, you know, you can take things the wrong way. Everyone's kind of protective and, you know, domineering and whatever. So we all thought we were in the best band, you know, everyone, everyone I knew thought they were in the best band in the world at the time. And mm-hmm. they acted like, that, mm-hmm. you know, so that can be grading. And I'm not just saying for coming from us, you know, they, they were the same way, um, but they didn't, I have to say at the time, they, they weren't good at taking jokes. Uh, <laughs> you know, Cause we wanted to, we wanted to have, you know, a good time and, and play some jokes and they weren't into it. So, and it, they were headlining because their album was out and our album wasn't out yet. We had yeah. a, we had a, a, we had the scratch, like the cat video on MTV, Hembagner's ball, yeah. but our album was not out. It was not available. Um, so, it was kind of like, you know, they were headlining, but it was draw wise. We were drawing as many people as that and uh, easily. And um, so I think Tommy jumped on stage naked. Yeah, I think it was something like that. And they they sent a letter uh, to a, we, we shared a booking agent. That's why it was pretty simple to put that together. Um, they were called Famous Artists, two bands that were not famous. <laughs> <laughs> um so 
they sent them a letter saying why they were throwing us off tour and all the reasons. It was very formal and mm. we carried knives. Uh, they were they were concerned for their safety, things like that. Wow. We didn't respect them enough. Uh, I know those were three things on it. So, uh, But somehow you, you were able to, you're friends with them now and you guys can laugh about all this or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I don't talk about it that much. I don't bring it up. <laughs> you don't bring I mean, up they, dredge up the past. I'm sure yeah. They remember it, but yeah. but I don't need to bring that up, especially, right. it, you know, in hindsight, it's such a little thing. You know? Yeah. So you also feel like MCA pulled you off the road too quickly. They did. To they did. make the second album open to the public. And then, but then they didn't, they owed you a music video for this album and they didn't do it. So that was kind of your out to get out of the contract, right? Um, y- yes and no. I'm not, um, to clarify. They pulled us off the road on the first album and we were blindsided Hmm. because the minute they put in that call or meeting or whatever it was, we were still convinced we were going to be the biggest band in the world or one of the biggest bands in the world. And we felt we were doing great. Um, We, we were touring. We decided to, we did like a loop of, of the USA. And when we started in the Pacific Northwest and when we got, back to the West coast. Um, we decided to blow off the last few dates going back to the Pacific Northwest and stay in Hollywood for like a month. Gigging. So we stayed there for a month, which mm. was cool. And we were getting a lot of press in Hollywood that we hadn't gotten. Cause you know, when you're there, that was the thick of it. You, you remember mm. that. Um, and things were looking really good. And uh, we're meeting a lot of people. And then we got this call that we had to, pack it up, come home and, and, and record a new album. And we were like, well, we, like you said, we haven't gone to Europe yet. We haven't gone to Japan yet. We haven't gone out supporting a, right. a, a band yet, you know, cause vain, like I said, it, it, technically it was, it was, we were support, um, but we were drawing as many people as them. So, you know, and they knew that. Um, yeah. Cause we both had pretty much one video on, on it. Yeah, that's more like a co-headlining too. You'd think that they'd have you open up for some big giant, like I said, like a Guns N' Roses or something. And that's what we expected. So we were were absolutely blindsided. And um, so then we came home and then that's when, that's when things, you know, started to fall apart a little bit because we were gaining, we had a lot of momentum and we really believed in, in ourselves and our, our music, our musical statement. And then we were told by the label, it didn't, this album didn't succeed to their expectations. So then everyone started questioning, you know, what we're doing and, hmm. and uh, people started taking more drugs and, you know, and it was just a lot of things started happening. You know, we were, we didn't have any, we didn't make any money obviously off the first album. And that was, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you don't think about things like that because you're going to be the biggest band in the world. But then when they pull you at home, pull you home and they say your album didn't succeed, you're like, well, you know, you start thinking about things like, you know, money and stuff, you know, just just enough to pay rent. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so that's that was about that. That was in late nine uh, ninety. I'd say. OK. Yeah. So then the second album comes out and then, and then you guys break up. Right. So then to answer your question, yeah, they didn't give us, they, we had a video in the, 
Well, just to backtrack for a second, our album wasn't out when we, when we went out with Vinny. So we didn't have a video budget yet. Mm. So we made Scratch Up a Cat with our, through favors and our own money. Our, mm. our manager, one of our managers, Scott Calvert, was one of the biggest TV directors at the time. He did DJ mm. Jazzy Jeff, Parents Just Don't Understand. I think it's called something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guns N' Roses Live at the Ritz. He directed wow. that. Um, and big, big, huge stuff. I mean, he won the MTV award for that Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince video. That was he, a big one. He, you know, he was doing Cindy Lauper and, you know, every, everyone. He was one of the biggest there. So, um, so he got us, he, he got us, uh, scratch up the cat without any money from MCA. And then they gave us money and we did Switchback. So, on to your question for the second album. So now, you know, we're worried about MCA and uh, they obviously didn't do the right thing on the first album. We were very worried about them and um, and they wouldn't give us a video. And we're like, well, we know we're not going to break. Now we're talking to the second album. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, we know we can't break this album without a video, especially right. back then. Yeah. You know, back then it was MTV was, was the biggest radio station in the world, you know? Right. So if you didn't even have any possibility to get on that, biggest radio station in the world, you know, you're not going to succeed. So after they refused to give us a video, we saw an out and we got, we got out and we planned on continuing um, with the four of us. Uh, actually, Tommy had left at that point. I think mm. I'm not sure. Tommy was leaving and coming back. So I'm not sure of the exact timeline, of that, but, uh, and we planned to continue and get a new deal. We had Sony still waiting actually and staying in touch with us. And, uh, but, um, Ray quit first and then Paul quit. And so does that answer your question? And that was it for a while. So then, yeah, you, you take jobs that you're doing working as a bartender and as a carpenter, but you're still playing in other bands. So tell me about those years. You kind of had this hiatus. Did you ever think about giving up on music? No, I never gave up on music for, for not for a minute. Um, I was just playing around New York City in, in bands. I wanted to distance myself from the hair metal or whatever you want to call it thing. Uh, it's questionable if, if Spread Eagle was hair metal, but uh, we got lumped into that. And so I was playing in like, you know, heavy alternative bands, hmm. crazy bands like that, punky bands uh, in the East Village in Manhattan. And um, and uh, no, I never gave up music at all. I never stopped. So is that why you were kind of hesitant? Um, Cause I think it was like 2004, you got this offer uh, to do base kind of a base for hire for George Lynch. Was it because you were reluctant because you didn't want to get lumped into the hair metal thing? Yeah. Yeah. I still hadn't come to terms with, with spread Eagle. I was never at a point where I hated spread Eagle, but I was uh, at a point where I was careful about, what style of musician to label myself because of the industry, you know, the, the backlash against anyone who was hair metal, you know, was for during the grunge era was extreme. So I was right. still very careful. And because of that, I didn't listen to spread Eagle for, I mean, we broke probably about 10 years. I hadn't, I didn't listen to it at all. And the true story of, Ray, Ray and I were in touch. Ray was doing the same thing. He was playing in bands in, in Manhattan and still trying to succeed. Um, and uh, 
in 04, okay, well, I'll answer your question first. In 04, a friend named Ray Freeman Jr., who was someone who booked Spread Eagle a lot uh, back in the day, up in the Middletown, New York area, he wanted me to play for Lynch. And he was he was the tour manager for Lynch, and he was putting a band together. And I was like, ah, no, I'm not doing that kind of music. And I fought him. He was a dear friend, so I could be, you know, I could bust his bust his ass. And I was fought him tooth and nail on that. Huh. And I ended up doing it, and I had so much fun. It was I I apologized to him because I was like, this was it was it was nothing but good vibes. George is I'm still good friends with George. He's a very nice guy. He treated me great. Um, and so it was just such a great experience, just at least for me personally, that I apologized to Ray. And then all of a sudden I, I was looking at the world differently, like, well, maybe I could be a basis for hire, you know? And um, uh, that was both four. And around that time, I, I, I played with um, Joan Jeff for a little bit, but also around that time, we got spread back together in 2006. And the way that happened was I hadn't listened to spread Eagle in so long. We had a friend, I was bartending and I had a friend named Dave Harrington, who was the studio manager at green street studios where we mixed our first album. And he would always come into the bar and drink. And one, he was like, you got to get spread Eagle back together. I'm like, no way. Leave me alone. You know, and one night he snuck up into the DJ booth and cranked broken city super 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 ear bleeding loud and i was like whoa what's this it's this is awesome and it took me a good 10 15 seconds to to realize what it was but i was loving it and when i realized it was spread eagle it's the first time i had listened to it in so long i was like wow this is really you know this is really great music and maybe i should talk to Ray because People have been asking us and, and we had a couple of conversations and I know personally, I was saying it's, it's not the time for me. And Ray probably was saying the same thing. It wasn't like Ray was calling me saying, you know, we need to do this. We were both like, you know, just very ambivalent about it, you know? But when I heard that, I called Ray, I said, I really think this it's time to do this again. And that was 06. And then we booked some, some little, tours you know and so it started coming back yeah and then you did the subway to the stars album which is some of the best reviews you guys have gotten and you worked really hard on that and you could tell i mean it's co-produced and mixed by these uh grammy winners and and the sound of speed such a great song and and a funny video i don't want to spoil it people need to check it out but it's a great video too and uh so yeah are you guys going to be doing another album with spread eagle coming up yeah yeah we uh just to uh touch on that video the band remember the band law and order no. They were on MCA at the same time we were. Okay. So they were about as popular as we were. Um, the, the guitar player directed that video, Phil Locke. Okay. He's gone on to become a director of movies. He directed a movie called uh, um, The Truth About Lies, which is really great. And he does a lot of TV commercials. So he directed the video. We're still really good friends since back then. Um but yes, we are. We've written um, pretty much a new album, and um, I'm going out with Bach now, so we're going to start recording it around Christmas. Okay, yeah. So you're you're you know you're you're uh, in Sebastian Bach's band, and then um, you became friends with Bumblefoot on the Guns N' Roses tour, and that's how you got 
the job in UFO. So tell me about that one because was there anyone else considered or was it just that, um, that they, that Bumblefoot had put in a word for you. So you just got the job or did you have to audition or anything or. I didn't have to audition. I went right into, uh, two rehearsals and then a tour. Um, um, so, um, so yeah, Ron, we, Bach did about a hundred shows with, with, with GNR and I did about 80 of them. So very fortunate to do that because it's quite a school of learning when you're, when you're direct support for GNR. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I became friends with Ron, who's a great guy and just an incredible musician. Yeah. I had him on the show. I love him. Yeah. He's awesome. He's, he's so talented. He's funny. Um, so he's friends with Vinny and, you know, without me knowing Vinny was putting word out that, that they needed someone cause uh, Pete way couldn't get into the country USA. And this is probably the second time he could, he was unable to get in. So it was like, you know, it was becoming a problem. Um, so I don't know if they were, if they were considering anyone else because I wasn't privy to any of that. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, um, I have a brother-in-law that knew Vinny because Vinny and I are both from Delaware, even though I'd never met Vinny. Mm. Um, so I had a brother-in-law that knew Vinny and so that helped also. And someone got me his email address and, and, uh, he was, he was, they were considering me and they, they, just happened. And you're in. That's awesome. And then tell me about this because I know the original bass player Pete Way, uh, rest in peace. But you had you said that you mentioned you'd actually talk to him online a few times. Like he was supportive of you being in the band. Explain to me that exchange because that that seems to be pretty rare for somebody to reach out to their replacement and be supportive of that. Usually there's like a bitterness or you know you re- you re- reject or resent the person that takes over for you. But it sounds like he was a class act. He was a class act from what I hear. Um, but I didn't reach out to him until like maybe t- 10 years after I was in the band. And I'm not sure if it was him or his web um, master. You mm. know? Uh, they were acting like him. But okay. some, I heard once someone said he, he has a webmaster who actually does that stuff. So I'm not sure. But oh. they were very friendly. And uh, yeah, but I, he was a class act. Everyone told me that. Yeah. And, they loved him. They loved him all along. You know, uh, they just wanted to keep functioning. It's as simple as that. Right. And the fans accepted you and, and Eddie trunk, he's like one of the biggest UFO fans. He, you got his blessing as well. Right. Cause he's such a big fan of that I band. So. Yeah. <laughs> I so. But I'm friends with him. That's cool. And then, so tell me about this. You, cause you get to not only play with UFO, but you actually get to bring your ideas to the band and contribute in the songwriting process. So is it, is it more exciting to actually play in UFO or to actually help contribute to the songwriting? Probably contribute to the songwriting is it, I mean, it's, it's hard to say they're both yeah. made, you know, I mean the song, this, the recording is a very small chunk of time that, that, that I've been with it. Most, mm-hmm. most of it was, we did two albums, but most of it has been tours, you know? And in the time I was, UFO was actually busy, busier than Box, so they were they were you know functioning band mm-hmm. uh, until COVID hit. Uh, even though you know they're older than Box, they were they were they're, they're tour dogs, you know. And yeah, doing that their whole life. 
Yeah. So what happened with, so it's the farewell tour, but now it's rescheduled for 2022. So is it still the last round or is the door open for future dates? I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I can't make those decisions and you can, and it's nice to say never say never, but Mm -hmm. I'm hearing the last show is in Athens, Greece in October of 22. Okay. And would Michael Shanker, would he come back for a, a leg of dates or on stage for a couple songs at all or anything? Or um, Again, I'm, I'm not the person to ask about that, but see, they, they don't dislike Michael either. The problem, the vibe I get when I'm there is that they just don't think these shows will happen with other people. They don't, mm. they're not confident other people will show up. Mm. Because Michael quit like three, the band like three times. Oh. So, and, and at times left them in a lurch where they're mid-tour, you know? So oh. it's, you know, if, if anyone, you know, they, of course, they could explain it better than me. But if, if, if anyone thinks there's like these people hate each other, they absolutely do not. It's just when you sign contracts to do a tour and someone doesn't show up, you know, it puts the people who do show up in a really bad position. And I think all these years, they just haven't thought that certain people would show up mm-hmm. or be, show up and be able to do the job. Right. Well, that's why I suggest maybe if he just came up, if it was like his hometown or something, he just comes up for like a couple songs or something, you know, I don't know. I mean, you might know, be cool. It might be. But, you know, Vinny's been there for all those years holding the torch and, and making it, you know, the band lost a, a lot of uh, confidence for years because of those people quitting and mm-hmm. those people showing up, not being able to play, you know, to, to their standards. So it took a lot of years with Vinny to, to build that confidence again. And you have to respect that. Also. Absolutely. He's a, he's a phenomenal guitar player. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So you mentioned guns and roses. Now you were playing with Sebastian Bach, but weren't you also playing with helmet? So you did double duty. You played helmet and then Sebastian Bach. Now, I mean, it's got to be nice to have the double paycheck, but is that how hard is that doing the double duty? Well, I didn't take any money from him um, because what? I just no, I just wanted to do it because I just wanted to do it as a favor. So I didn't take any money. Wow, I I a t-shirt. <laughs> That's so nice but, of you. <laughs> well, I was already getting paid. I was already yeah. there, and I didn't want to be opportunistic about it. Like they were in a bad place. Um, mm. It's. It's a, a long story, but but hmm. I'll I'll do a condensed version. Um, GNR is always a, a a big deal and a fantastic tour, but they the reason Helmet came on is because Queens of the Stone Age, no, not Queens of Stone Age, um, Eagles of Death Metal. Mm we're on the tour for one show and the crowd didn't like it and they made it clear that they didn't like it. So he goes to death metal. We're on and off the tour in like 20 minutes. So having said that, and that's not any indictment on their talent or anything. It's just, you know, different styles, very particular and it is different styles. But then the, the Eagles of death metal started saying some nasty things in the press. And I, I didn't think that was very nice. And mm. um, so all of a sudden there was some weird vibes around the tour. Um, and, you know, 
I, everyone was feeling, I know I was, and it was, you know, you, I was felt, feeling very protective of the tour because it was a big, you know, it's, it's a huge deal. And, you know, it's your work, it's your art, it's your, you know, it's big level, bigger level than you've ever been on. So, so, you know, I thought it was horrible that they were saying some petty things, but, you know, so anyway, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> so then, then helmet came on and this is, we're talking probably two days later mm. from Queen, uh, from Eagles of Death Metal. Sorry if I get this. Yeah. I love Queens of Stones. I love both those bands actually. Yeah, they're great. So, um, so it was like two days later and helmet come, come on and we are starting the Canadian leg of the tour. Which is probably I don't know about eight shows, nine shows, I guess, somewhere in there. So Helmet's basis can't get in the country because he had a prior marijuana charge, I believe. Mm. So we get to, so they call ahead from the board from the border control saying, "Now we had just had this this situation with the band being thrown off tour, and then the pr- negative, all the negative." gossip oh around gosh. and now helmet can't get into the country so again it's you know it's gnr it's they're gonna there's a lot of tickets sold and people are still gonna be happy but so i wanted it i just you know i wanted i wanted things to go right i didn't want this i wanted this drama to end hmm. and i didn't want the drama to to compound with now helmet can't do it so they asked me to do it and uh they radioed ahead and and they I got word through the roadies because we didn't have self-service, you know, in Canada. And um, I learned the songs and I had a show that night, you know, and it went great. And I did the whole tour. But, yeah, I just wanted to explain my feelings at the time because all of a sudden it was like this black cloud, you know. And and, and so I I didn't want to be opportunistic about it and, you know, squeeze them for money or anything Mm. like that. I just wanted it to go well. I was already on the tour. Um, I don't even know if Helmet were on the entire tour. I guess they were at that point. But I just wanted it to, to be successful. And and I feel like maybe I did my uh, helped it a little bit. Yeah, you stand-up guy. Wow. So, yeah, tell me about that tour, though. You said that you partied with Guns N' Roses, like, every night until 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. A lot. Yeah, the party always went till, till sunup, definitely. Um, the only thing – yeah, I mean – Baz and, and Axel can can sleep all day, but we have to be up and, and loading our stuff in. You know, okay, the band, but uh, but yeah, we um, we went pretty hard on those tours, you know. But it was a lot of tours. It wasn't just one tour. We did South America, we did Europe, we did a couple U.S. runs, we did Australia. So it was pieces, and yeah. there were, sometimes we would, there would be long pieces without you know without touring with them mm-hmm. and europe actually was more than one european tour it was so we started in europe in like oh five and then we went back to europe um so yeah so it was a lot of tours oh that sounds yeah. that sounds so fun to party with axel and and baz yeah, like a great guy and and the people that talk shit about him probably have never met him he's a really 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 generous nice person oh i'm sure smart and very intense 
Yeah, I'm a huge fan for sure. I'm a fan of both those guys. Um, so yeah, so Sebastian, so joining that band, I guess I didn't realize he, he found you because he was he was a fan of Spread Eagle. I think that's really cool. He said some really nice things about you in the press. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of, uh, he came up and sung Broken City with us in 1990 uh. or 1991 on stage, which was awesome. And again, like you said, he said some nice things, which, you know, he was on the top of the heap at that point. So mm-hmm. when someone like him is saying nice things, it really helps. Uh, so, yeah. So we got in touch in, um, after, I guess after I, yeah, after I did the, the, the Lynch thing and he, he said he was uh, needing a bassist cause Steve DiGiorgio, who was in the band at the time was leaving. Mm. And, uh, so I started with some rehearsals, just helping them out for rehearsals that Steve couldn't make um, for uh, some shows that Steve was doing. And I did some rehearsals and then I, then Steve left. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of his solo work and his stuff with Skid Row, but there's a lot of material to pull from. What is your favorite song to play live? I mean, is it, I would think piece of me is fun because of the baseline or is there another one that you really like? It's fun. Um, well, we don't do at the moment. We're not, we were doing a lot of his solo stuff uh, over the years because I started with Baz in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last few years, it's it's gravitated to being mostly Skid Row stuff. Uh, we do the song American Metalhead that that Baz wrote, well, that Metal Micro uh, for Baz's album uh, Angel Down. But other than that, we gra- we've gravitated mostly to Skid Row material and. Um, but to answer your question, I like playing uh, in a dark room a lot. Uh, I like playing monkey business a lot. Uh, the threat is fun to play. I mean, I like playing them all, but those are really fun. Uh, in a couple of years ago, we we did the uh, debut album, 30th anniversary. Yeah. And so I learned those songs. So Midnight Tornado, I think is the name of it. That mm-hmm. fun to play. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that are yeah. So because this learning different ones. Yeah, because this tour is the 30th anniversary of Slade with the Grind. So can you give away, I mean, obviously it's going to be the whole album, but is it the the set list, like, is it going to do Beggar's Day and Get the Fuck Out? Or is it just one or the other? And like, are they doing any of the... I think we're going to do everything. Okay. Yeah. Are they going to do like, a, what is it, Holiday in the Sun or or any of the B-sides or any of that stuff? I haven't learned those, so okay. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but Beggar's Day and Get the Fuck Out, that's kind of cool. Because yeah, I've it's like one of... Them. I've learned both of them. So. Okay. Yeah. What about, um, I just had, uh, the singer from Kaleido on, have you listened to them at all? Cause they're going to be the opening band. Not yet, but uh, we'll be hearing them every night. That'll be fun. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm excited to see both you guys. Cause like, I just became a fan of them recently. I was like, Oh, these guys are really good. So did he, cool. I'm, I'm told that Sebastian picked them personally. I think I'm sure he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause he yeah. could have, he could have his pick of a lot of bands. That I would, mean, he might've been, he might've been recommended, but them by someone else, but he, he definitely listens to them and okay. Yeah. Okay. What is your take on the, um, Sebastian Bach, Chris Jericho feud? Is that, is that real? Is, or are they, cause I know wrestling's fake and Chris Jericho's at rest. Is this like a fake thing that they're just like putting us all on? Or are they really in a feud? It's real. Um, uh, but it seems very silly to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they should be fighting, you know. Um, I've never met just Chris Jericho. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Mm. Um, but if the issue is about lip syncing, I am totally on Sebastian's side because I am 
so anti lip uh, tracks. Tracks, yeah, I've heard you talk about that many times. <laughs> I'm very anti running tracks. I've never done it. I've never been in a band that that does it, and I'm and uh, I think it's it's a cop out. I think it's uh, it stunts your growth as a musician, as, as a performer, and as a musician. Um, I think it's unnecessary, and even if I mean, it's a fact. It's not as big if you don't, you know, if you do not run tracks, it's not going to be as big and perfect. But the art form isn't about being perfect. It's about taking your all of these tracks that you layered on your album and figuring out a live arrangement of that and, and rising to the rising to the occasion of performing them in a nice way that your fans appreciate you know and that you're doing a good job you know so uh people lose that they think it's about being perfect or being bigger being the biggest and you know making everything louder than everything else you know it's, that's not what a live band is being about if you got four guys you can only do so much you know right that's the beauty of it you you being able to see it not being uh, blinded by all these layers of, of sound so you can see how that musician plays and their lack level of talent, but also their level of style and their, their you know, and that gets bombarded. And you know, when you're bombarded with all this information, you lose that. And that's mm-hmm. not what being in a live band is to me. Right. No, and I loved your take on this because you said you had a quote, something about you're saying how a lot of the younger bands are, it's almost like they're scared of like failing or making a mistake. And that, that's almost like an interesting kind of like a metaphor for life. Like if you don't take risks, you're not going to be successful in my opinion. Like I don't, I think you can't play it too safe like that. And using the backing tracks, I mean, that's like the ultimate way to play it way too safe, especially for a rock band. Like you said, you want it to be dangerous. It should be live and you never know what can happen. And yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what those unexpected should happen. That's mm-hmm. what rock and roll is, you know? And uh, I mean, I guess a band could give the argument that the industry has forced us to try to make everything so perfect because there's no margin for error, you know, which is somewhat true for if you're in a new band, it's tough, you know, but you should still, you should still just go for it, you know, and, and, and do your best. Yeah. Well, I love when you see a live band, like, especially when I've seen Skid Row or Sebastian play solo, it's like they're playing the songs heavier and faster than the studio versions. That's the whole point of, to me, of going to a concert. Like when you hear the songs faster and heavier and more aggressive with like more energy that you can't really, if you're using backing tracks, I feel like it's just not going to be there. Yeah. I mean, that's, I agree with that. And and we do play things faster and heavier. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to see you guys live. So, I mean, I don't know if you saw the recent thing with Sebastian in the press and him talking about his ex bandmates, but he had kind of a good point. And I, I've had Rachel on. I love Rachel. I've met Sebastian twice. He was so nice to me. So they both seem like great people, but he did have a good point how he said like that. They say he's difficult to work with, but you know, he's worked with the Gilmore girls and he's guns and roses. Doesn't think he's difficult to work with. You've worked with him since 2005. Is he different? Yeah, he must not be, be difficult my, to work I'm with. I'm going to be starting my 17th year with him. Yeah. In November. 
So is well, it, is it I mean, difficult to work with him? Or, I mean, you wouldn't stick around that long. No, I would he's, think. Just, he's just the way he is. He's intense. He, he, he's, he's, he wears everything on his sleeve. He's, he's really into something. He's very, very passionate about it. And, and if he's not, he's not, you know, he's very clear about that, but he also has a lot of energy. So you have to understand that when he is really into something or really against something, he's going to come at you with a lot of energy about that issue with that thing, you know, and that's, once you understand that about him, you, 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 you appreciate it, you know, and he's, he's one of the best I've ever seen at, at just turning it on, being able to turn it on, you know, what, no matter how bad a day he's had, or if he hasn't slept, uh, he gets up there and you would never know. You would never know. He's just so instantaneous about, you know, turning into that, you know, and I, there's a lot about him. I respect. And, uh, and so I, I would, you know, I want to, I want to be out there playing. I want to work because music is employment. It's like I said, it's art. It's, it's fun. It's, uh, social, you know, but having said that, I would love to see him be back in, in Skid Row um, because I know the feeling I got when I put Spread Eagle back together, maybe not when I put it back together, but when I started putting albums out with Spread mm-hmm. Eagle again and we put out Subway to the Stars, it's, it's like full circle. And that band that you came up with is the band that's probably most special to you you know, uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, you know, UFO are amazing, you know, but their, their glory years were before I joined, you know, 13 years ago, you know, sure. so even though it's amazing and I love it, and I appreciate it. I'm so lucky to be there. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not on those classic records, you know? So everyone has a band. Most people have one band that was their, their thing when mm-hmm. they were so innocent and, you know, just so a hundred percent do or die. And I know that was, you know, for Baz, that was Skid Row. And I would love to see him back with them, you know, because if they, if they don't, don't like that about him, that he's that intense, you know, like when we toured with Poison, they all had their own bus and they were hmm. only together on stage. And uh, I heard rumors actually after the fact that they didn't after the tour started long after the tour started that they don't get along but i never saw it like they were hmm. so professional um if that's true I'm yeah not, i never witnessed it hmm. um but i did hear that and uh it's kind of like common knowledge whether it's true or not it's it's com- it's commonly out there that people say that um but they were so professional that I, they never argued in front of anyone uh they showed up and they did show and their fans were happy about it we did like 40 shows yeah one summer of 2008 so i'd like to see skid row just get together and do it for the fans yeah well so it's got to be a little bit different though because you're you're it's sebastian Bach's band right so it's like he is like if you guys have a disagreement like he wins because it's sebastian Bach. but if it's skid row they kind of have to like there's give and take like what happens if you if you disagree with sebastian on something are you let you feel comfortable expressing your opinions or uh often often you know if he's if he's really upset about something or you know or or really into something i might say it's his band and he's going to you know 
and that's what he really wants. So, you know, what's the point? But, uh, but as far as Skid Row, I don't know how they would work their things out. You know, yeah. that's, that's, you know I'm, I'm, I've only met Rob a few, so he was very nice. Yeah. Other guy I've met. Yeah. I met Ra- I had Rachel on the show. He was great. And, uh, like I said, I've met, I haven't met Sebastian on the show, but I've met him twice and he's just, I would love to have him on the show. Cause he's just, I think it'd be a really fun interview. Cause he's like, you said, oh, he's so high energy. Yeah. I think it'd be an he's easy hilarious. interview. Yeah. He's really, really, really funny. Yeah. The yeah. two times I met him in person, it was, it was a blast. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, even though I said he can turn it on, you know, but that is yeah. him. Right. You know? I just mean like the energy level and the entertainment level that, you know, he could be having a, the worst day. And then still, I mean, I know there's days where he barely slept were some of the best shows he's ever had. I don't know how, but they were, and he sung great, you know, and he just. Yeah. Cause that's his thing. I mean, he's beyond just a good singer. He's just such a good front man and personality. And that's, that's a huge piece of it. I think. The best front. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so besides being in, in these other bands, are, now are you still doing Of Earth? Because this is like your own kind of project where you play bass and sing in it. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm not. I mean, it's not a dead band, but um, Rick DeLuca also played drums on that from Spread Eagle. Mm. But um, it's not a dead band. But when you have, I feel that you can have one labor of love at a time, and that's Spread Eagle, you know, because we have momentum with the, with the, the the newest album and uh you know we got great reviews on that like yeah so um i'm gonna i'm gonna get that band back out there you know and uh back into the industry machine before i think about a verb again because i i feel it would hurt spread eagle sure take away the momentum that we have going on at this moment yeah so you mentioned during the pandemic that you've spent a lot of time writing music. Now, when you're writing, are you writing specifically for UFO and then this one's for Spread Eagle and maybe even some for Sebastian? Or do you just write a bunch of songs and then put it sorted out later? I just write the, the, the way I write um, most of the time. I just write kind of in two styles, other style and everything else would be anything else I would write would work with all the other bands I play hmm. live in. Um, but I'm focused on spread eagle setting them right over here for spread eagle for our next album very cool do you will you will spread eagle will they do like any tours in the in the u.s definitely we're going to probably start in the new year um we had a shutdown because covid like everyone sure had to shut down and uh so we're going to reschedule probably for early 2022 okay perfect so yeah you've got you got a lot of shows coming up then you got- recording because we're going to start recording in december Okay. Yeah. Cause then, and you'll have Sebastian tour and then there's shows with UFO. And so you're going to be very busy. Yeah. I'm going to try to put spread eagle in between because I know Sebastian's going till Christmas. I'm not sure what he's doing next year yet. And UFO is, uh, has some stuff in the summer and has that October tour where they end. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I like to end each episode with a charity. Is there one that you want to give a quick shout out to here? Um, I don't have one. Um, off the top of my head. So how about, um, instruments for, for high school kids? There's gotta be a charity for that. Yeah, I'll find. So I think I've, yeah, I've had people mention that stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll Google some, I'll put it in the notes along with, uh, do you have a website that's just for you or should I just, I could put the spread Eagle and Sebastian and UFO websites. Um, I mean, Rob Deluca.com spread Eagle NYC on, I think it's NYC or spread, or spread Eagle band on, you know, Spotify, uh, 
uh, YouTube, et cetera. Oh, I have a website called vintagebaseworld.com for, oh. for, for uh, uh, gear geeks. Okay. Uh, check that out. Uh, thousands of pages, a website that's thousands of pages. Wow. So, okay. I've, I've built it over a decade while on tour. All right. So yeah. Tens, tens of thousands of pictures and of details of like bases and amps. And, okay. I'll put that in the notes as well. And uh, I'll definitely check you out on the Sebastian Bach tour. And hopefully you'll come with a uh, spread Eagle and maybe even UFO. If we add dates on that one, I'm in yeah, Phoenix yeah. by the way. So yeah, I'll see, I'll see. You. I think Sebastian's playing the marquee in December. So yeah, I'll make sure that you're on the list. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know what that means, but uh, so. Well, after the interview, I'll explain. Okay, cool. Well then we'll end the interview right now and I'll say, we'll say goodbye to the audience. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Chuck Shoot Podcast. <laughs> and what what is the official name of the podcast? Just the Chuck Shoot Podcast. Yeah, make it easy. So it's my name. It's just I don't know. Yeah, you made it easy. Yeah, I just so, thought oh, that's what I that's what I like. I like Joe Rogan, Howard Stern. I was like, oh, I'll just do what they do. Even they have a lot bigger names than me, but yeah. So well, thank you for having me. It's really appreciated. And thank you for to everyone for the support. Um and keep an eye out for for uh, the new Spread Eagle album next year and Perfect. Spread Eagle tours. And, uh, awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, audience. And I'll say goodbye. Rob DeLuca, I really enjoyed the stories in this one. I didn't know a lot about uh, that stuff with Spread Eagle. I like his take on Sebastian uh, and how he even wants him to get back together with Skid Row, even though he would lose that job. Uh, it just seems like a really good dude. So make sure to check out his band websites for tour dates, UFO, Sebastian Bach, and of course, Spread Eagle. He's a very busy man, and I will definitely be seeing him on the Sebastian Bach tour with Kaleido. And if you don't know who Kaleido is, make sure to check out my interview with Christina Chris and check out their music. They're another great band as well. And make sure to follow Rob and all his bands on social media and follow me too. Your likes, comments, and shares can help us both out quite a bit. And again, I'm just going to remind you to make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel and also subscribe to the Spread Eagle YouTube channel if you can. Uh, We both appreciate that. I appreciate all your support. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon.